Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au If you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. I've used this scripture and these words a lot over a bunch of years. But Jesus at the start of the Sermon on the Mount says this, A city on a hill cannot be hidden. He starts it by saying, you are the light of the world. So you... Elsewhere he says, I am the light of the world. But here he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And he says something that we kind of jump over this bit a little. But he says, neither does someone light a lamp and put it on its stand and then cover it. And we all know that. None of us turn on lights, especially with electricity going up 30%, right? And then cover it so that it can't be seen. Jesus uses this really simple illustration where he says, you don't light a lamp and put it on its stand and then cover it. You leave it there so it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before people so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's a really funny concept, isn't it? That Jesus says, why would you light a lamp and then cover it? We are, as a family, got back middle of this week from... A week's holiday, it was nice to go away and just uh, have some time as a family. And we, we're a camping family, but we decided for the first time in a long time to head away with mum and dad. And so we booked a house together. It was a beautiful spot on the water and the backyard joined the neighbour's backyard. And the neighbours were there doing some renovations to a house that they just built. And I walked out and the guy was there and he sparks up a conversation because we took our dog and if you know our dog, it's an annoying dog and barks at anything and anyone. So he's barking and I'm trying to reef the dog away. And um, Anyway, so we strike up a conversation. I'm about two minutes into this conversation and I, I realise, you know, I'm not being judgmental, but I learnt some words that I hadn't heard. I learnt a combination of words and I've heard most things, but you know, I was given some education and a whole bunch of things. And I'm standing there and I start to not listen to what he's saying because in my heart, I know what's about to come. Now, most of you don't worry about this, but at some point in my life, I get into a conversation where the, the question that most Aussies ask when they've run out of questions is, what do you do? Right now, I'd already determined from conversing with this guy, he's a really lovely guy, like, I mean, we, I'm sure we get on fine, but... I'd already worked out from a few of the things that he'd said that probably Christian faith and whatnot was not high on his agenda. And so when we get about two minutes into the conversation, he says to me, so what do you do for a crust? I'd already been thinking about my answer for a minute because I'm like, oh, this is where it always gets awkward. Now, you all get to feel good about yourself here. Jimmy is about the only other person in this room that understands the pain of this question. Right, because if you want to shut down something or make something awkward, tell someone that you work for the church as a pastor. So what do you do for a crust? I work for a local church on the Gold Coast. It's, and it's funny how people kind of think that they need to then change their language so they don't offend me. It's like, that's, don't do that. I'm not offended. What do you do? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. What I nearly said was something that got me out of jail a few years ago where I got asked that question and I said, I'm a pastor. And the guy goes, plasterer? 
My brother-in-law's a plasterer too. Where do you work? It's nearly my go-to. If I don't want to have the conversation, what do you do? Plasterer. I had to correct him as well because I thought I can't get deep into pretending like I know anything about plaster and gyp rock. So, but in that moment, the question comes, and I've got to be honest, part of me just wants to do this. I work in social services, I work with people, I, I'm, I'm a life coach, I'm an educator, I'm a communicator, I help run a care ministry. Look, I'm really running out of kind of great ideas to come up with to explain what I do because the question inevitably comes and rarely do people go, oh, that's awesome. I wanted to do that as a child. Usually it's like, oh, nice day today, isn't it? (laughs) Now, you don't get to live with that awkwardness, most of you, because you don't carry my job. But I want to ask you the question of what is the question that you get asked that you wrestle with the answer to? Is it when you work, walk into work on Monday morning and so someone says, what did you get up to on the weekend? What did you do on Sunday? What were you doing camping at Christmas Creek on the May long weekend? What's that all about? Are you religious? Like you all think of the time that you've been asked the question where you knew that you were going to have to nail your colours to the mast and you were at a place of going, do I do this? Or do I just take the easier route and do this? You see, there's a challenge that anyone here that's a follower of Jesus, that is a person of faith, is going to feel at some point in their life and it's when your faith and our culture clash. And you feel the animosity, and you feel the contempt, when you fear the questions, and you're just not sure if you're going to receive judgment, rejection, or ridicule because of your answer. Let me say something really important to us this morning. As a follower of Jesus, there is a point that's going to mean that your belief and your behaviour is going to be incompatible with the majority narrative and the associated behaviours of our culture. Let me say that again in a different way. There will be a moment, this isn't a, you can dodge this all your life, this is a, there will be a moment. Actually, there will be many moments. But there will be a moment where to live as a Jesus follower will mean that your beliefs and your behaviours will stand at stark odds or will contradict the common behaviours, thoughts and accepted norms of our culture. One of my favourite pictures of Jesus is when it says that as he grew, he grew in favour with God and people. The the picture of the early church where they grew in favour with God and people. There's something in me that wants us as people of faith to be winsome people. The people when they encounter us, don't go, oh, I usually get asked, what do I do? And realise that I've now got six months of hard work to help this person realise that I'm pretty normal and that they could probably actually get on okay with me. It's like a six month backward step for me most of the time. But I actually find that when people get to know you and they actually see the way you live your life and they know that you're not taking a totem pole to their front door to knock it down with like tracks and 
you know, to, just to annoy them with your belief system. That at some point there will be a favour because of who you are and what you believe. But there, there's always a point we, we have to decide whether we're actually going to let the colours of who we are shine or whether we're going to take the easy option of covering it. And today we launch into a brand new teaching series, not through the Sermon on the Mount, but through the first letter that the Apostle Peter writes to a group of churches, a group of Christians that are scattered through a place known as ancient Asia Minor, which in the modern day is parts of modern day Turkey. They were people that were living under a Roman occupied and ruled society and Roman rule came with its cultural norms and expectations. And these people were now having to come to terms with what it meant to live differently in this world. I hear people say a lot, we live in some really challenging times, like people's attitudes towards things are really at odds with the things of God. It was no different in the ancient world, actually. There was just a whole lot of practice that followed that that meant people lost their lives because of their belief system. And Peter writes to these Christians and part of the intent of Peter's letter is to talk about what it now means as a follower of Jesus to live differently within the culture in which they find themselves. And over these next six weeks, we're going to speak to some ways that this letter teaches us to live differently or challenges us, challenges, let's get that word out, us to live differently in the world that we find ourselves and in the culture that we are a part of. We're going to be challenged to live differently in the way we treat others, to live differently in the way we treat our spouse for those of us that are married. They were challenged to live differently in the way they respected leaders. There's some confronting things that Peter says to these early Christians about the way they respected the pagan authorities that were in charge of the culture and the society that they were part of. How we should live differently in the way we conduct ourselves differently in the way we speak, differently in the way we use and exercise and understand power, differently in the way in which we work. There's some challenging things in here that speak to those of us that work for others in the way we treat, respect and show integrity to those that we work for. If there's one verse that captures so much of what I think 1 Peter wants to address, it comes from 1 Peter 2 where he says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. We're going to come back to this idea of foreigners and exiles because he's not talking about people that are new people into this region. He's talking to people that are in the same place they've always been, but now have a new master that they're serving. They're actually a new kingdom that they've signed up to be part of. And so now within the culture, they're foreigners and exiles. So I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so that's what we want to do. Now, a big part of the intent of Peter's writing comes from this underlying understanding of the mission of God. And the mission of God is this, that God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to come and preach of a brand new and a different type of kingdom. And that kingdom actually broke into existence through the death, burial, 
resurrection and life of Jesus. And now we're invited to be the foretaste of that kingdom. You see, it's about Peter's letter is about Christian living, not just because living the way Jesus tells you to live is a good idea, but also because when we live the way that Jesus tells us to live, it becomes a testimony to the world of what the kingdom of God is like. And so here's a really confronting but important statement that I think we need to understand as a theme that comes through this letter. And that is this, when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus in Ormo in 2023, you are God's plan A. There's not a backup plan, you're the plan A. So therefore, how you live matters. And through your life, others will be given a foretaste of the kingdom of God. I know we live just local to here, just in Jacob's Ridge Estate. Others uh, in Ormo might have had the same experience. But once or twice a year, um, some farmers, well, at least if, if they're not, they do a really good job of pretending they are, the way they dress, the way they talk and how they roll up to your house. But some farmers from the Lockyer Valley roll into our estate in their truck to do a uh, delivery of fresh fruit and vegetables from the farms of the Lockyer Valley uh, out of the back of the truck to the homes in the district. And uh, I got the door the first time, Chrissy did just a couple of weeks ago, and you get a knock on the door and there's a farmer standing in the front door, like looking completely like they've just walked off the farm, like they dressed for the occasion, holding a pocket knife and a couple of bits of fruit. Listen, we're just local farmers from the Lockyer Valley wondering if... You want to buy a fruit box today. And then they've got this apple that honestly looks like it had mated with a watermelon. It's that big. <laughs> and they slice off this little juicy slither and they hand it to you and they say, taste that. And you taste it and it's the best apple you've ever tasted in your life. And they slice off a bit of orange and they hand you that and go, this is the sweetest thing that you'll ever taste. And you taste it and then they say, do you want to buy a box? And in that moment, you're going, that is the best fruit I've ever eaten in my life. It's definitely come straight off the farm of the Lockyer Valley. Oh, I'm in. Yep. Go get me a box. What's, look, our smallest boxes, they're $173. They've got 15 mandarins and four apples in them. But no, it's not. You go down, you get the box. It, it, it's exactly what Peter wants to paint the picture of for us in this letter. You are the foretaste for others of the kingdom of God. Through your life, they get a taste and a glimpse of what it looks like when Jesus is in charge. Therefore, you are God's plan A. The way we live matters. We talk about grace a lot in this church. And grace is that free gift that says, who you are, you can't behave your way into heaven. And this series isn't to tell us that behaviour is the thing that gets us in God's good books, because it's not. The grace of God's the only thing that gets you in God's good books. But when you have discovered the goodness of God, He wants to transform your life so that you become part of the foretaste for others of what it looks like when Jesus is in charge and when Jesus breaks in to someone's life. You are a foretaste. Your life is a foretaste of the kingdom life. And we all know it's true, don't we? And we don't, wanna, we don't like the pressure of this, but we've all met someone that said, I want nothing to do with Jesus. And when you quiz them on it, it's got nothing to do with an encounter they had with Jesus. It's got everything to do with an encounter they had to do with one of Jesus' people. So church, I wanna challenge us that the way we live matters. 
This is part of the picture, part of the purpose of Peter's letters. Helping these Christians realise how to live in a way that stands apart from the culture they are in and in so doing gives people a foretaste of the kingdom. In your life, the words you use matter. The way you do family matters. Your integrity in business matters. Your kindness to others matters. The way you care for the poor matters. All of it helps build a testimony that will give others a foretaste of what the kingdom of God is like. You know, for some of us, the great challenge of this series will be seeing ourselves as plan A. Because every time we find ourselves somewhere where the opportunity to shine our light comes, we just put the bucket over it because we feel like it's too hard. And I reckon what God wants to do for some of us over these next two weeks is give us the confidence to shine our light and to stop hiding it. You know what the crazy thing is? A moment a few years ago where I got asked that dreaded question of what do I do? And I, I don't, I, I, I tell people. And I always feel awkward in my heart and spirit just because I just, it's just sometimes relationally awkward. But someone asked me, what do you do? And I told them what I did. And I found out months later, that person said, God, if you're real, you're going to actually put someone in my life to actually convince me that that's true. The next conversation they had was with a person who just happened to be a leader of a local church. And God used just that moment to do something and I just had to get over my awkwardness to let the light shine. I reckon God wants to take the bucket off for some of us this series. So church, welcome to 1 Peter. Let's dig in. Don't worry, that's not a long introduction that's going to turn into a second part of a sermon. It's all part of the sermon today. But let's dig into 1 Peter 1 just to get us started. as a bit of a foretaste of what is to come. 1 Peter 1 verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. So now for a little while, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me jump really quickly into a few things that Peter just wants us to grab at the start of this letter. It's easy when you're reading a letter to jump over the introduction really quickly, but there's something important in the introduction you see. He actually, when he introduces and writes the letter in, in the form that you would expect, he greets all those that are gonna receive it. 
He talks about where they are, but he speaks to them not through their vocation. He doesn't speak to them specifically through their location, even though he mentions that. He doesn't speak to them through their family or their title. He simply speaks to them as people that have come to the knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So to God's elect, that's who he addresses this to. And so the first thing Peter wants to say to us is this, in Jesus, you have a new identity and your new identity gives you a new master. Peter sets this up for us right at the start. And when you compare it to the introduction of other letters, you see that the thing that Peter wants to do is to remind people that the reason they're receiving this is not because of who they are or where they've been connected, but because of who they are in Christ alone. It's not their family or their reputation, their past, their acquaintances, their vocation. Their identity actually is designated them as children of God, which then makes them exiles in the culture that they find themselves. Hey, this is really good news for us because we're invited when we discover Jesus to take on a brand new identity. Identity is one of the great challenges and narratives of our culture. People wanting to to understand who their identity is and fighting to be able to identify themselves in any way that they see fit. The Bible wants to make it very clear for those of us that are in Christ, our identity, no matter anything else about us, is found in Christ alone. 1 Peter 2 says this, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. If you want to know who you are, if the great question of your life is, who am I? This is what Peter says about you, that you are a chosen people, God's special possession. We're invited to find our identity in Christ, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness to His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He continues, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, there it is again, to abstain from sinful desires. Live such good lives among the pagans. See, we're told that we're set apart, we're set out, that we've been given a new identity, but our new identity falls us in line with a brand new master. And in the opening to the letter, Peter takes us through this Trinitarian picture of who we are. He says, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit, and to be obedient to God the Son, Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with His blood. So we're invited to find a new identity with a new master. One of the great invitations of the Christian faith is to find your identity in Christ and in Christ alone. But it's not just a new identity and a new master. It's a new future that gives us a new purpose. He continues, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. The core to our belief is this profound statement. If you want to find a verse among many verses, but a verse in this letter that really sums up who we are in Christ, it's the verse that says, in His great mercy, in other words, the initiative of God, the mercy of God, He has given us, that's the generosity of God, a new birth. There is the new hope and the fresh start that can be found in God. 
into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, our belief and our faith is grounded in this idea of resurrection. We talk about a lot on Easter Sunday. We should actually talk about resurrection every week because our faith is found in the truth and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. We gather on Sunday because Sunday reminds us of the resurrection of Jesus. Paul, one of the other uh, writers of the New Testament says this, that if resurrection doesn't occur, you and I should be pitied amongst all people. In other words, resurrection is critical to everything. And Peter in his letter says this, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus that you and I don't just have hope, but we have living hope. In other words, we are here, we exist, we do what we do because Jesus is alive. Our belief is grounded in the idea of resurrection. See, Christianity is not a religious belief system or ideology or ideology that dictates to us a pattern of behaviour that will bring us to salvation. It's actually much simpler, simpler and much more profound than that. It's found in the words of the angel at the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He's risen. There is the call of our faith that we have a living hope that's grounded in the resurrected Christ. You see, resurrection changes the way you live. See, a lot of people live to try and earn God's favour. But God's favour is not something that can be earned. We're not called to be people who live to earn God's favour. The invitation is actually for us to be people who live as people that have already earned favour and now know that we can live out of the generosity of that. I watch a, I've been watching a show that I've discovered recently. I don't know if any, anyone's seen the show Alone. As a, a bit of a bushman myself, I find myself in the show, but the basic concept of this show, I, I don't. The basic concept of this show is survival. A whole bunch of contestants, because it's a reality show, are thrown out. The Australian version was into the Tasmanian wilderness. The original version from America is into the Alaskan wilderness, where they're thrown out alone. They've got 10 items they're allowed to take, and they're all practical items like rope, knives, tarps, that kind of stuff. And basically, who can survive alone for the longest? And they have to take all their own cameras and set them up and film them. And uh, I watch it and it's a really interesting show because you hear all the narrative of the way people have prepared themselves to be a participant on alone. And the thing that you realise is they're not people that see themselves here forever. They actually know that there'll be an end point to the experience that they've got. There's no hot water, there's no electricity, there's no showers. They've got to go and hunt for their food. They've got to fish for their food, dig holes in the ice. The Alaskan one, they end up there in the middle of winter. It's like minus 30 degrees. It's ridiculous. But you can see that they're living life, not through the lens of how do I make this work for the rest of my life, but how do I make this work for the next two months so that I win the prize and beat everybody else? And so some of the contestants come in and go, I packed on 35 kilos knowing I was coming on this show because the fat reserves that I've got will get me for 27 and a half days based on my calculations. That's crazy kind of thinking, right? But you don't live like that if you're out there forever. You live like that when you know there's an end point. You see, when you know that there's a day coming 
where one day you're gonna get your hot shower and your roast dinner and you're gonna get your medical attention. You live in this moment through the lens of that reality. And that's a little bit of what Peter's saying, that as Christians, we live today now through the lens and the reality of what is to come. And because of resurrection, what we believe is gonna come is not an end point in our story called death, where everything you've done before is the only thing you'll ever do and experience, but an end point that'll be a step into God's brand new reality, where what you do back here will have an echo into the eternity that God has in store for you. And that changes the way you live today. Resurrection changes the way you live today. How would you face suffering if you knew that today's suffering wasn't the end of your story? How would you use your money and be generous to others if you knew that the inheritance you're building wasn't about what you passed on to your grandkids or was gonna rust and rot, but it was actually inheritance in God's good create new creation? How would you use your time if you knew that resurrection promised that death wasn't the end of your story, but a glorious new beginning? How would you treat others if you knew that one day you would stand beside them face to face with their Creator and yours, giving account for the way that you treated God's loved creation. Resurrection changes the way we live. And as people of faith, we have a living hope. Therefore, live different. Finally, a new hope gives us a new resolve and a new resilience. Let me get the band up. You know, suffering, suffering is part of the human experience. Suffering is part of the human experience. I uh, did a wedding a couple of weeks ago and someone asked me how many and Chrissy and I sat there and tried to work out how many weddings I've participated in. I think I've done about 30, 31 weddings. Man, they're good days to be part of. I haven't had a disaster on a wedding day yet. Everyone's happy, everyone looks good, the food's great, there's cheer in the room. Man, I love being a pastor, getting to be part of people's weddings. Couldn't do that if I was a plasterer, so I'll stick with pastoring. <laughs> I love being part of weddings. I love being part of dedicating kids to God. I love being part of people's baptisms. I love being part of, there's so many great things that I get to be part of, but I tell you, one of the, the realities of being a pastor or the realities of being a person, to be honest, is that we get to walk through the highs with people, but we also get to walk through the pain. And, and, and I've walked through this with some of you. You know, health challenges that no matter how much prayer's been poured in, just don't get any better and the story doesn't end where we want it to end. Walked with many of you through loss and grief some that was expected and some that was just born out of tragedy. Walked with many people through great disappointments, you know, promises that never came to bear or things that never happened the way they wanted. I've walked with people through financial ruin, walked with people through great injustice where they're living a nightmare based on other people's lies and deception. Yeah, Peter in his letter wants us to know that there's more than just a light at the end of the tunnel. He actually wants to remind us that whatever we walk through now is just a temporary thing. That the light at the end of the tunnel isn't just a little dim light, it's actually a glorious 
healing, a glorious wholeness, a glorious reunification with those that we've lost, a glorious place of peace, a glorious place where the tears will be wiped from our eyes. Today, if you're walking through a dark valley, hold on to Jesus' living hope. But Peter isn't just writing about suffering as mere human pain and tragedy. He's also speaking to a group of people that are suffering directly because they've professed faith in Jesus. They're suffering persecution. Some have lost their families. Some have lost friends. Some have been imprisoned. Some have seen family members executed because they declared faith in Jesus. Some have been imprisoned. Some have lost their jobs. Some have lost all of their earthly inheritance. And Peter writes to them, and he says, hold on. He says, in all of this, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. And I tell you, when we walk through suffering, it never feels like a little while, does it? But Peter has this broad snapshot of all eternity. And he says, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Christ is revealed. He says, hold on. And we don't live in a culture where the worst persecution most of us receive for our faith is some ridicule or some rejection or some people that don't want to be our friends anymore. None of us have had our life put on the line. I actually reckon if that ever happened to us, our churches would be markedly smaller but their missional focus would be so much sharper. Peter writes to an audience that to actually declare faith in Jesus means you could lose your life. Like that just gets rid of apathy in your Christian life, doesn't it? When you know that the very decision to follow Jesus and the very decision to live differently is actually gonna have serious repercussions. We, we live in a culture where for some of us it's going to mean that as we lift the lid off the lamp, some people might see us differently or they might talk about us differently or they might joke about us differently or we might get invited to all the parties or all the gatherings. You know, we might get a little bit of ridicule or sometimes worse than that, some slander in our workplaces or our schoolyards. And man, there's a cost. Like a, that's not an easy thing to do. I've been serving Jesus in the local church for over 20 years and I still balk every time someone asks me what I do for a job. Because there's a human side in us that just goes, ah, oh, I just want them to like me. I don't want this to be awkward today, God. But we're plan A. If we do this, there's people in your world that may never get to hear the good news of Jesus because your light's been hidden under the bucket. Take the lid off and let your light shine so that they may see your good deeds and praise who? Not you, but your Father in heaven. Church, let's live differently. Let's live differently. Jesus doesn't just give you a good feeling on a Sunday. He transforms every area of your life. Your attitudes, your time, your wallet, the way you serve others, the way you talk to others, how you are as a boss in your workplace. Don't walk out of here on Sunday and treat 
God's creation like muck on Monday. If you're one of the employees, don't slander the guy that's carrying the weight of the job that you have. Live different. So that even though they ridicule you and slander you, one day they'll have nothing but to say, Jesus made a difference in that person's life because I can't put it down to anything else. Live different because we have a living hope. The resurrected Christ has got something in store for you one day that will make whatever it is you face today feel like nothing in the scheme of eternity. Let me pray for us, Lord God. Some of us need to take the bucket off and let the light shine, let our colours be seen. Lord, give us courage in the face of ridicule and rejection. Lord, for some of us, it might cost us more than that. But God, as people paid that cost in the early church, the message of Jesus transformed thousands, millions of people's lives across this globe as it continues to break through into the hardest of hearts and the most broken of stories to bring grace, love, forgiveness, compassion, hope and eternity. May we, your people, your church, know what it means to live differently so that others may through us give praise to you pray these things in Jesus' Name. Amen. Hey, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. You might just have a very real challenge in this area right now. In your workplace, in your home, in your neighbourhood. and You just need some people to stand with you today and pray God's courage over you. Our prayer team this morning, I'd love you to pray God's courage over some people here this morning as they respond to pray that they may live as people that have a living hope. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 